How's it going, Pod Goblins? Welcome back to another episode of D20 Tower. My name's Brandon, and I've been writing fantasy and studying improv since I was a kid. My name's Liam, and I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I could walk. And now we are going to walk you through our DMing journeys to share the tips, tricks, and stories we've picked up along the way. We want all your games to be fun and engaging for everyone at the table. So prep your adventuring gear, grab your dice, and roll initiative. Let's begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're chilling in the studio today with my nomies, Brandon and Dylan. What's up, hot goblins? Oh, hey. So today, we are going to present you with a wonderful Choose Your Gnome adventure. Yeah, you really gotta go big or go gnome. Oh, gnome, you didn't. Have you guys watched season three of The Boys? Yeah. You, you seen all those scenes with Gnome Lander in them? Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So sorry for all the puns, everybody, but today... We are we, not sorry for the puns, Liam. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little sorry. Dylan's a little sorry. Brandon... I'm, I'm very sorry. Brandon embraces it. Embrace I, I lament. It. <laughs> so today we've got for you a adventure in Spelljammers about a gnome tinker tower, and it's going to be pretty fantastic. It's going to be a fun time. It's going to take on some of the tropes that we're used to with Dungeons & Dragons, and we're going to twist it up to fit it into a Spelljammers setting. And to be clear, um, the all of these, we are doing these for spell jammers, but any of these can be adapted to your campaign wherever you are. It's, you know, we built this to be kind of universal, but we do like the flavor of, you'd have to tweak it a little bit if you want to do um, something in your campaign that's not in space. Really? It wouldn't be too hard. Really, all it would take was when we say space, to think mountain or ocean, and when we say asteroid, think Power. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the same. <laughs> and anti-gravity could just be something filled with water. This would actually yeah. be, re- this would be really great as a tower that doesn't have an island, but like an artificial tower built on the water mm-hmm. yeah. because ships would still have to like come up to it and dock in it the same way. And we could, you could run pretty much all the same concepts. This will make sense as we move forward. Uh, but to set the scene here a little bit. The adventure site is an asteroid that is think of it as a hollow cylinder that is capped on one side or like a like the shape of a like a drinking glass almost effectively but an asteroid so the inside of it's hollow and the mouth of that hollow is a dock for spelljammers and it is in an asteroid field in your preferred region of wild space we're going to keep this as generally vague as possible so that you can insert it into your adventures and stories however you want and you can make it make sense without any kind of tweaking so our adventurers are in some way hirelings to some greater entity at the moment whether that's full-time hirelings or part-time hirelings Either way, they have been lent temporarily the use of a spell jammer to incentivize that they don't steal this spell jammer. It has only so much fuel to get from where they are to the location and back with a little bit of wiggle room so if they run into any issue, they can still get back. For anyone who doesn't know what a spell jammer is, we mentioned it um, in our last one, Mind Flayers Part 1, um, but a spell jammer is basically an airship in space. Yep. It's it, a flying ship. It's just a boat that flies. And it really looks like that. It's not like this big well, metal encasing thing. Okay, but. that's not actually true all the time. Spell jammers, which we will see as it comes out in setting, all look really different. There are some that look like bugs. There's a giant spider one. There are... Uh, I don't like a spider one. That makes me uncomfortable. I actually think the dwarves have a literal giant metal fortress that flies through space, which is right. like yeah. sometimes they do That'd look cool. like metal spaceships. Um, 
So it, it is... I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. They, they have a lot of different varieties. Uh, the man, the Elven Man War is one of my... Fa- I think it was the Elven Man War. The Elven one was one of my favorites. It's got, it's got these like giant green wings. Looks a little bit like a bug, but not quite a bug. But the thing is really, really cool. Honestly, some of the... Anyway, some, so some of the spell jammers are cool. The art's going to be coming out. The new books are coming out soon. We will go over those when they come out. I've got them pre-ordered so that we can make sure we get on top of that because it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, the, Looking forward to it. The adventure that already came out, check that out on D&D Beyond. It was free for a little while, but I think you probably have to buy it now. I don't know if it's still up and available. Not sure. But uh, it was I made, a... I made sure to download it when you told me about it, yeah. It was an intro adventure for Spelljammers where they're in basically like a holodeck from Star Trek. Mm. Uh, learning how to fight if things go wrong on their spell jammer. It was pretty cool. It's, I liked it's it. It's not short, is it? Like, wasn't it a longer? I think it's four. I think it's like four sessions. It's like four. Okay. So uh, that's like two years in IRL. <laughs> yeah. If that, if you're lucky, <laughs> four years um, for most groups. And then there's groups out there that are like, I don't know, we meet twice a week. <laughs> we don't. God but bless. there are groups out there that are like that. That's a lot of writing for my taste as a DM. But anyway, back to our adventure site. So, our adventurers are on their loaned-out spelljammer and have arrived at this asteroid. When they get there, they find scorch marks all along the outside and the ring of docks on the inside that they are expecting is almost entirely destroyed. It seems like something was attached to the docks and ripped away in a hurry without detaching. There is one broken apart small, think of it as like a skiff used for local travel, maybe like for uh, working on the outside of the asteroid if something happens or attaching new pieces or finding raw materials, but like local. Um, That's broken in half and partially on the docks and partially on the lower area. We'll get to the lower area momentarily. Um, Otherwise, there is one dock available for for our adventurers to land at. So, they land... And there is a small scaffold above them in this area because they've had to enter the uh, asteroid at this point. And there is now gravity here, so they will have to align their ship and dock. And they will see that there's a small scaffold above them and a scaffold below them in which there's a platform in the middle of that that has a crane. That crane is tall enough and wide enough to reach everything in this area. And there is a small platform next to it that seems to have some magic with it and it will load it seems like it will load cargo from ships onto that platform but currently it is spinning madly in one direction and occasionally stopping and spinning madly in the other direction you can't see into it the cockpit of it is not open and uh, has it doesn't have uh, open glass on it on all sides it seems to only have a little blurry glass so you can't really see into it you don't really know what's going on in there but the hook of that has been going around the lower platform which seems to have been previously sheltered by a layer of glass which has now been entirely shattered onto the floor of the second level and when they step out they would immediately if they step out and immediately hear banging and they would have a rock get thrown and almost likely whizzed past the party as you will roll but for this attack but the players will have to make a uh, check to see if they get a surprise round or not. This would be a DC 12 uh, perception check to see if they can notice the Grimlocks which we talked about in our previous episode uh, hiding on the upper level but now throwing stones down at the players. They'd be doing this at disadvantage because they're blind and everything's a little bit more than 30 feet away at this point most realistically. So you're not they're not likely to hit but they'd start throwing it out. And if they manage to hit a player they have to make a DC 11 strength check or be knocked prone. And the reason they don't want this to happen it's because there's broken glass everywhere. Oh, that sucks. Which, yeah, which, when you fall on it, is going to hurt. It'll deal damage to them when they're knocked prone, and then they have to use half their movement to get back up, which makes getting anywhere on the field harder. And if they move at full speed, they take damage, So, which they will learn quickly, with probably within the first round of combat. 
The crane itself, swinging around, is a magical item that lets people speak with undead. Uh, inside, if they finally gain access... Uh, to be clear, the it is inside the crane. Not like yeah, the yeah. crane. Oh, so not the, the crane itself. Yeah, so that would be crane. hilarious, though. You pick a body up with this crane, and it just animates and starts talking. <laughs> but that's a little goofier than we were going for, but I love it. Corpse scooper. <laughs> so, inside, yeah. they're going to find a circlet with screws that you have to put on your body but it allows the player... Well, on the dead body that you want to speak to. Oh, you put it on the dead Yeah, and then you screw the screws in. Hmm. Oh, it's very, very Frankenstein. Yeah. Well, these are mind flayers. Well, we also can't forget that inside there is a Grimlock, and they have to deal with him, and then they get this magic item, and they may not know necessarily what it does immediately, but they're going to play around with it. Well, as, as they are prone to do, Yes. How many different ways can I use this? They're probably, literally, I would imagine they're going to pass it around the party to see if it works with anybody. And then they're going to be like, well, this is dumb. Yep. <laughs> and throw it into the pit. But you give them, no, you, you, I mean, if they've got a wizard who's Make it willing blow. to do yeah. something. No, that, honestly, no, just have it be the only interesting object on the Grimlock. Even, okay, players like taking toenails and scales and weird things from creatures. I'm pretty sure they're going to be like, that's neat. Let me take the crown with with screws in it. And if if not, they don't use it for this adventure because not every... There are multiple. This thing isn't required. It is a useful thing during this adventure, but it is not the only way to solve it. And it's really the kind. It's one of my philosophies with magic items: is if they miss it, let them miss it. Like it doesn't need to be, unless it is something that is like a big quest object that they know they are after. Nothing is mandatory. Yeah. So this whole combat revolves around. We wanted to include different elements uh, to teach level one players but this this um piece of combat you have those three grimlock locks up top throwing down at them you have this crane trying to knock them over they got to figure out all this they they so they have to learn like movement they have to learn cover and they have to learn like how awful prone is yeah, yeah. it teaches about some saving throws it also gives them a lot of tactical choice uh we, we didn't talk about it, but there's a stairwell that leads up and down to one side, or you could theoretically jump right over the edge down to the next level to quickly deal with the crane, but you'd have to run through the glass, which would open you up for a lot of other... There's a lot of tactical choice that you can make in this kind of fight where you have dynamic motion in a threat, a kind of a general static threat, but has dynamic motion to it in the spinning crane that you have to deal with. You've got a static threat in the glass, but you've got the enemies that can like push you into things, knock you down, do general damage to you. And it is one of the things we talked about that I don't want to skip over was the damage for Grimlocks because we tweaked that for this campaign because if it, like out out of the monster manual or the, they were in one of those pre other starter kits or whatever. They've um, got a club yeah, that got a club piercing that, and bludgeoning yeah, damage. Yeah, so it does 1d4 of each of those, which could kill plus three. most level... Yeah, plus three. So Which is an average of most, seven or eight. That's, that can kill most level one players. So we took that element out. We, we kind of just said, okay, that's just the club. Well, they have a... Yeah, so we, we've decided they doing. have something akin to a wrench. So they've got a standard club yeah. that just does basic club damage and the rocks are an improvised thing that they're we're going to give them proficiency for this because they're already throwing at disadvantage but if you feel like that's too much take away the proficiency and it just does one we decided 1d4 damage plus their strength was what plus one so Uh, their strength is plus three Okay, so 1d4 plus 3 on their strength, which is still a lot of damage if they hit, but they're throwing at disadvantage and everything. So it is, they are threatening, but not as threatening as they would typically be. So instead of them being a CR one half creature, you're looking at closer to like CR one quarter because of the lower damage. Well, and there's cover for everybody as well. So that adds to people's AC as long as they 
use it. Yeah, uh, yeah. There would be uh, there's like crates and stuff, crates and stuff on each debris. level. Yeah, yeah, and debris, the debris from the ship. Um, there would also be a uh, on the lower level, past the fallen ship, the the body of the skiff that fell that I described. There would on the other side of that there would be this panel in the wall that they could get to and make an arcana check or uh, if they're proficient with tinker tools, something akin to that. Give them ways to interact with this thing around a DC 12 and it can turn off the crane completely. Yeah. So that you have external ways, other ways to deal with everything that's going on. Um, And I think that's really important to teach new players is that there are always... There should always be, unless you're in the middle of the desert, something environmental that they can use to their advantage. And, you know, something that, like, maybe the wizard or the bard or the rogue doesn't feel comfortable running across this glass and getting these things. They want to look for an alternative route and sneak around. And, you know, they'll find this and try to figure out what it does. And that, that's fun. It adds a different element. Or if you've got a player that really built a certain way say they've got what is it keen senses yeah and they can like like, pick things out from a further distance and they're like a wizard with mage hand and they're like from the upper level oh I see that panel can I make my check to see if I can deal with it from up here with my mage hand like that's the kind of thing that goes wow that was super good thinking you built your character for that exact moment (laughs) let them have that kind of thing and that's also why I'm saying make it like a DC 12 whatever check they can justify that's actually how I will probably present a lot of the adventures that we show because I don't necessarily like this takes a DC 12 blank check if it is just a general problem it should take a DC whatever check that's appropriate to the level of whatever problem solving route they can justify or you can justify give maybe there is a standard certain things it's like grappling right there are rules for that that makes sense but if in this case it's like maybe it isn't arcana because it's not a magic panel maybe you have an artificer they can figure it out mm-hmm. maybe you've got like just a, a let, rogue let, let, that, the, let the rogue do um thief like tools. stealth or yeah. hand th- uh, thieves tools check like yeah, yeah whatever it is yeah that gives you a lot of freedom for how you build your adventures too in my opinion i I think liam and i both both as dms we really we we try to let the 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 flavor we try to let players creativity trump like our plans sometimes you have to stick to what you got but i i think i want to encourage as much creativity in combat and so we we made this like you're like dc 11 dc 12 like we want to make this really easy as an introductory combat so they feel more confident going into the next stuff and the next stuff is very unique and a lot of fun so um yeah what do we what do we have next uh we have the yeah so at this point you've cleared this hopefully they've cleared this area They've dealt with the crane. The crane is off. They see down this, further down the shaft, that this magic platform seems to open up, and it is some kind of anti-gravity well or tunnel that takes cargo from this area to somewhere deeper within the asteroid. It is currently active with anti-gravity, and if you jump into it, Unless you intentionally like, get to the other side somehow and really jump down into it, you'll kind of stop after 15 feet. There are safety ropes on the side you can grab people and pull them back up with. So nobody can really fall into the pit and get lost, but this will be a puzzle they can either get through later or we have a way around that they have to deal with. But at this point, it's kind of the terrible way forward because you have this several hundred feet long tunnel that you have to get through of this big asteroid and it's all anti-gravity so good luck make, at level make one make it dark like yeah all, it, none of the lights, none are, lights on. are on make too. it like terrifying for players that don't have dark vision yeah for your, for your human fighter player yeah you're single or no dragon wait dragonborn don't have it yet yeah no they don't and they didn't bring it back in uh 
I don't know if they brought it back in Fizzbands. Fizzbands, I don't remember. I don't think so. You guys can yell at us on Twitter or Instagram or something. Yeah, let us know. There's, I think, three races in the entire game that don't have dark vision. So it's normal vision or dumb vision. So what is it? <laughs> Halflings, humans, and dragonborn. Dragonborn? Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, so so tell me a little bit. Um, I know I know you had a lot of fun, Liam, like planning this puzzle. So what, what, do, you, what do players have to do? Well, let's talk about puzzle philosophy real quick. I don't like most puzzles at my table. I think that you should have, for most players, a single level of complexity to your puzzle where it's if you get one thing, Mm -hmm. that's the answer. Mm -hmm. And it should be as obvious as you can make it because... You might go, wow, this is too stupid to put in my adventure, and you'll put it in your adventure and watch your players flail against it for, for 45 four hours. minutes, yeah, for hours, hours yeah. 45 minutes to hours, whatever it is, every right? Every time, and, without and a doubt. And I'm not even joking, look up kindergartner and like first grader puzzles, and you can put those in your games, and it will stump your players. It's rough, but... That so make your make your puzzles easy and kind of obvious. We went through so many iterations of this puzzle trying to figure out how to make it cool, but we we settled on just easy is better. Straightforward. But, yeah. Yep. So to move on, you would make your way down the el- uh, not the elevator, sorry, the uh, stairwell that was on the side of this that leads to another level. That level is the what is what appears to be a residential area. When you get into when the players get into this area, they can do a tiny bit of searching before they hear. And honestly, it doesn't matter what you put in that part. In, okay. Give it random loot in this front area, whatever it is. But make it really easy. Actually, don't even make them roll for it. They just hear something else, a group of something else is moving around, making a lot of noise and grunting at each other further along in it. If they are perceptive, they can figure out that these sound like the Grimlocks that they just killed outside. So I'd say maybe two more Grimlocks or three, but that's up to, I would say, gauge how they did against the others. Yeah. And if they're, like, really, really hurting, don't, like, you're not trying to murder them here, but make it obvious that they're there so they have the opportunity to now do the sneaking up on the Grimlocks because there's a good chance that if they get a a surprise round off, the Grimlocks don't do anything. Yeah. Right? There's a very good chance of that, even at level one, with how weak these things are. And I I think I would love to play this with, like, just, like, dim light in this whole residential area or just total darkness because the Grimlocks don't need it and then that will help make the next thing look way more the actual puzzle look way more interesting so I would make all of the residential rooms have lights off Mm -hmm. and I would just let's set the mood here right all of the hallway lights are like buzzing and flickering and they're dim light only so they're low power they're dimming there's obviously damage to this place right so like you got to make this the the environment matter. Oh yeah. The, every time like they need and you know and this is a really fun moment for you as a DM to make it feel like a horror scene. Maybe there's bodies down here. Oh yeah. Like oh there, there should be. Yeah, they're like make this whole thing like they they came to this asteroid not knowing what happened and everything's been destroyed. And so make this dark area as terrifying as you possibly can. Put put blood writing on the wall. Glowing brain jars. So we're going to get to glowing here momentarily. Glowing brains. Actually, I have a very specific... The glowing brain jars might be up in the labs, but very good point. We'll be moving on to that momentarily. But they get to jump on these Grimlocks. They deal with Grimlocks. Like, they should also have kind of wrenches, so they have clubs, not their standard weapons, but that's their kind of only thing they have down here, except they might pick up a random object and chuck it, which they don't have proficiency in and does, like, a D4 damage, right? So they might do that to keep you away from them because they're not, like, brave by any means. Maybe they play defensively and just try to get away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can only see you when they get within 30 feet. So if you once the combat starts, the first thing the Grimlocks have to do is... Where are they? What's yep. going on? Yep. But the uh, players would deal with this hopefully pretty easily, pretty handily. Um, maybe they took a short rest after the last fight on their ship. 
there's no reason the Grimlocks would come up in that time. They're kind of down here looting. When they deal with the Grimlocks, they find in that room that they were looting in a gnome-sized, purple-skinned, squid-headed creature. I, I don't care what you say. These things are adorable. The gnome ceramorph, which we discussed in the last episode. But this thing is dead in this room. So, the players have an opportunity here to interact with this and put that crown on it and speak with dead. Get some information. Let this thing be perfectly willing to share information. I... Honestly, as a DM myself, cannot really justify why this thing would be withholding pretty much anything because it knows everything that's been going on here. They keep their memories. So it knows that a mind flayer showed up here and kind of decimated everything and took the gnomes, which we'll find out later, and kind of put them through seramorphosis. And it didn't like this. It has all of its memories. So it was trying to escape and was killed by the mind flayer. You can find all this information out by talking to it. You can also find out the uh, password to the vault in the upper level. Um, if They probably might not know to ask about this right now, but they might come back down later and do this, right? Yeah. This is just information that the DM would have. Um, so they get all this. They could also find out that he's got a lockbox hidden in a vent or something. Pick your, pick your hidden location of choice, whatever. He's got a lockbox hidden here that's got a password. He'll tell you that password and where it is, and you can get his lockbox. That's got some loot in it. Pass out loot, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. None of this is magical at this point. It's just matter. whatever he's got, yeah. Probably gems, realistically, uh, because you don't know what uh, gold currency people might use in different parts of wild space. So, anyway, you get his thing, but his lockbox on the top of it has three colored jewels if you remove you can remove the jewel from the box but it then loses its color it's just a clear gem and the color goes away on the thing it's like a light so you put that in it lights up it's got this color if they don't speak to the gnome ceramorph or if they don't get any of this information whatever there is another room past the grimlocks that is dark except for our brains and jars dylan except they're not brains in jars. They are cranium rats in cages. They were pets, but they've been turned into cranium rats by the mind flayer that was here or the gnome, one of the gnome ceramorphs, whatever happened, right? They're now cranium rats. But each one of their cages has a name tag and they each have names. You can also make the, they're kind of smart. They're smarter in groups, but they're if your players want to, like, really want to interact with them, just make them kind of dumb, only know a couple of words, or only, like, want certain things, whatever. But make let them interact with it. This is a fun little RP moment, especially to add some levity after everything we've dealt with up to this point. Because there's been two combats already, and it's I feel been... like it gets, like, better the deeper they go. Like, it gets more interesting and, like, less dangerous in a way. Oh, yeah. It can. Well, I think that that's pretty much the last combat we've got anyway so we've only got the two oh we've got oh we've got another well, we, okay we'll we've got there. the possibility for a combat but if you take that to combat I look I, you're an evil person yeah um, <laughs> but you find that these cranium rats because it's a dark room each one of their heads glows a different color and if you know the password the color pattern on the box would be the names of the rats that have those colored brains because their brain or cranium rats don't have the top of their skull and their brain kind of glows. So, so yeah, you have like one cage that's yellow and that says alpha on it, or it says Greg. It literally doesn't matter. It could be a whatever phrase. works for you and your yeah. group. Yeah. yeah. And it produces a short phrase or just even like Greg, Tim, Abby, right? If, if it's, if you've got three stones and you've named them that way. I'd name one after the players just to mess with their heads. That would be kind of so funny. everybody else suspects them of something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, if you, if they didn't get that code, they can put together that this opens the box or they don't. And too bad. But we move on to uh, 
for, other, further yep. further into the residential area. You can add add flavor in here wherever you want, but those are the important encounters for this area that we thought would be worth doing. You can add like a little mat, a rat maze in if you want. You could do little rat races if you want. Add in whatever like little flavor stuff or role play social stuff. But the other side of this battle and these and the searching of these rooms leads you to what appears to be the elevator for people that goes with this uh, anti-gravity elevator on the other side. So... Uh, I designed this. This this thing is a kind of a puzzle and a trap, and it's fairly simple, but it can go awry uh, pretty easily. Um, so in this elevator shaft, again, there's no gravity, so the players can float down. And but there's a whole bunch of junk and debris floating in this elevator shaft, and when they get closer to the bottom, they realize that the way to the net the one of the lower floors is blocked by the elevator and it is doesn't look like it can move so the players have to figure out how to get this thing out of their way and so um what i wanted to do is make a, a simple check like the figure out how the system works it shouldn't be that complicated elevators go up and down um so i'd i'd allow something like an arcana an investigation maybe a history check so i'd let any one of those checks really it doesn't matter um any or all of them whoever wants to roll um so one of the things that do not tell the players. So if the DM does not describe this, it is your fault. So you need to make sure that when the players are going down this elevator shaft, you make the debris and junk like significantly noticeable. Like it's in their way and they gotta like move it around a little bit because after they figure out how the system works, you're gonna talk in like a DC 12, some, uh, some sort of check. Um, if they secure the junk and move it out of the way, they acrobatics, athletics, check whatever you want to want. A use. character that has a whip. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be the number one. I'd be like, yes, you chose a whip. Mage handed out of the way. Like yes. it's floating. Um, so you could allow, I probably get using the, for this. Using the crane. Yeah. You, you could use the crane because this thing's a whole big, a vertical shaft that's all attached. So you use a perception check. Um, you might, you could allow an inside check, but probably not because uh, it's not a, a, a creature. Um, so like give the players, if they can't figure it out when they, well, well let me go on and it'll make sense. So the players go through the activation protocols. So two PCs have to turn a gear that's stuck, so they have to make an athletics check combined to beat a 25, which two players with moderate strength, they can they probably have a 50-50 shot at doing that. Um, and another player has to use a fire or electricity of some uh, variety, just a, a, a spell, a torch, whatever they a can cantrip. use. Yeah, um, something that they have access to. So they have to use that to jumpstart a panel. And the fourth player has to um, hold some, uh, put, push a button on the elevator so that it doesn't drop on the PCs and it goes up instead. So this whole thing depends on everybody doing this thing all at once. So everybody makes their checks all at the same time. And there are repercussions for what happens. So I like. Do you have you, to? Do you have to hold? Make a check to hold the button. Finger endurance yeah, check. Yeah. So let's say you have to hold two wires together, and they have to make a sleight of hand check so they don't zap themselves and take a point of electricity damage or something. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Just something like make make it make this simple. Um, so they understand, okay, so we need to move this gear because it's stuck. This panel needs to be reactivated, and those wires aren't connected that look like it connects this. So if we do these four things, then it should move. So if everything goes according to plan, um, the players will have secured the junk and reactivated the elevator. 
Um, if the players activate the elevator but didn't think to secure all the junk, it is a trap, so they need to make a dexterity saving throw for... Maybe you just do like half the party, the person doing the panel and the other person doing the wires and the guys under the elevator are protected. Uh, but there there should be consequences for them not noticing this peripheral stuff that matters. I don't it, think the elevator should fall on them. No, no, no. Because that, that's just, no. <laughs> hey, hey, you failed, die. It, you're talking like soda cans, trash bags, empty, you know, Boxes, what, whatever. Empty needles from seromorphosis experiments. Get tested. <laughs> uh, so, if any one of these challenge, if so, th- it's fun to have everybody roll at the same time and succeed as a group. So, if any one of um, these three challenges has failed when this is rolled, they can retry it twice, but the DC increases by one for all of the checks with each, each re-roll. So for one person failing, everyone has to make a recheck? Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, it, but it, I think I think you, if you're talking like DC 11, I think if you have people tied to their specialties, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll matter. But hey, if you guys choose to like play this and use this in your game, just tell us if it works. Like we didn't, we didn't play test this. We just kind of made it up for fun. Um, included all these uh, creatures we talked about in the last episode. It's general concepts for uh, how I build encounters and adventures. Maybe give the people who already succeeded a bonus when they retry so that they're or, not Or punished. theirs doesn't go up. Their the yeah. bonus is they don't take damage, Dylan. <laughs> this is me well, being generous. <laughs> oh. I'd say the people that succeeded shouldn't have their DC go up and only failures have the DC go up. Sure, yeah, that's fine. I think that makes more sense. Why why should they have a failure? Why should the whole group... They didn't fail. But why should the whole group be set back just because 25% of it wasn't a good check? Yeah. And that's all I really mean. Yeah, I like that. Um, So, total failure. Um, If players fail both... all Like, all the re-rolls... and uh, yeah, if the players break, uh, basically break the system so that it won't operate by consistently failing uh, three times in a row, um, it's impossible to attempt again. They've fried the circuits or whatever you've got. Um, however, the at that point, no rolls required. Maybe you throw in a perception check, uh, but I just wouldn't so that they can actually progress. But uh, they notice a grate on... Um, the somewhere in this in this area, maybe it's like up directly beside the elevator, um, but they can remove that grate with an athletics or thieves tools and crawl through an air duct. And inside are a couple more Grimlocks, um, and in and, and there's a security panel where they can override it and just get the elevator to move slightly so they can like slip through and uh, get to the next area. And so failure failure state is another combat, which is not a bad failure state. And you know, they can, they can see or hear these Grimlocks and maybe that's when they decided to take their short rest. Uh, They've gone through uh, two rounds of combat already. So maybe that's when level one, they're like, okay, we can't do something else right now. Um, So also just as another adventure design concept, notice that we've never set the failure state to be no way forward. It just is a more difficult way forward. And there's all, There should always be an alternative because having only one answer it, it just it, it, the players have to mind read what the DM wants. And having the game in any way be able to completely stop because of a failed skill check it's going to frustrate you as the dungeon master just as much as the players I promise you when you're like crap I kind of backed myself into a corner here I wanted that to be difficult but uh, now there's nothing that anyone can do it makes your general dungeon mastering a lot more difficult from that point forward so try to avoid that kind of thing fail forward always yeah. think think fail forward and this is level one 
Like you, you probably will have, if you're starting a level one campaign, you're starting with new players. Also, well, that's not true. I know, but like, like you might have one or two new people. Yeah, that there's a there is a chance, and it is very likely in today's atmosphere that you're yeah. uh, dealing with new people. Also, just never mind. That's a topic for a different day. <laughs> I, have, I have ideas for different. Topics. Anyway. So last week, Liam and I sat down and uh, we we talked through this next encounter and we had we actually had a lot of fun planning because we were just throwing ideas out to see what stuck and then when we landed on this we're like that's it that's fun so this next encounter um you're wrangling squidlings gnome squidlings yeah so these things um they move with their tentacles on their faces and the rest of their body floats up in the air so somewhat comical and somewhat creepy as a quick reminder they are basically a the so when you're trying to turn a gnome into a ceramorph, absolute success is a gnome ceramorph, absolute failure is death, which is the most common, and then the abomination in between is gnome squidlings. They are low intelligence, still have psychic psionic powers like um, brain tickle. Yeah. But we'll we'll go into that in a sec. Yeah. So um, this this is combat and a puzzle and a social interaction. And we managed to bring all these things together into one encounter. And it's it, it should be a lot of fun. So, I, But I do want to preface this, um, that before we dive into this scene, it's important for the DM to know that everything that happens in this next encounter is being observed by something that they can, they can meet in the next thing. So... But what the players do in this situation determines the outcome of the next thing that Liam will go into. Um, so Dylan, go ahead and tell us what, what what about this encounter is fun. Well, when they finally get past the elevator, they'll find themselves inside the research labs, which you can describe how you want. It can be equipment that belong to the gnomes. It can be equipment that belong to the illithid. It can be... In between, there definitely have to be glowing brains in jars. Like, that's the thing. Well, I mean, yeah, that is on brand. And, I mean, what happens if you're in the workshop and you need a snack? Um, and I always encourage getting your brand on. You, <laughs> you can get out of the studio for that one. Yep. Uh, see you guys next week. <laughs> so, second they step in, the first thing that they're going to see is a little bit of chaos. Besides seeing the general wor- workshop. They're going to find themselves stepping into uh, an already active combat. So at that point, you could either, I suppose, let them just watch it happen, or they could immediately roll initiative and participate. They'll see a intellect devourer, a little brain with four legs for anybody that doesn't recognize Brain doggies. Yeah. Talked about them in previous episodes. Uh, is chasing around four gnome squidlings and trying to eat them. So, at this point, players have a couple different choices. They can go full murder hobo and just kill everything, which will cut them off from the social interaction further ahead. Yeah. They can protect the gnome squidlings and kill the intellect devourer, which we consider victory state. Yes. Absolutely. Because after that, the gnome squidlings will not be hostile. Um... Or uh, sort of be hostile. Well, <laughs> we'll explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or they could watch. In which case, I guess the DM could just let them watch a free for all and see what happens. And, but and, and no, the, it, basically, if the players are gonna sit back and watch this, all the gnome squidlings die, and then they still have to kill the intellect devourer. And not saving these adorable gnome ceramorphs is. It should be like each this encounter. Describe this as like almost comical, where you have these little like Jawas with squid beards and running around big, with their hands up in the air, big, just like yelping and big giant wet eyes that make them look sad and scared. Yeah, and, and they run away in fear from this thing with their like squid faces. Yeah, which you should be like. 
like make the noise and everything they're just like pulling themselves away as fast as they can and i don't think they're very fast if i remember correctly from the last episode and uh 15 20 yeah it was it was like slow slow and it's like embarrassingly slow that way like if you're killing them like you have some problems (laughs) yeah well i mean they can levitate but say that they can't get very far very fast you know, dragging themselves on their little tentacles and well yeah they have to uh, pull themselves along even though they can levitate they don't have that much control over it but just make sure to describe let the let the squidlings talk you can even have them ask for help if, but like yeah. they're babies in intelligence they they will call out like for help but they're not going to be very like, simple statements. Yeah, they're not going to be giving you any kind of complex feedback by any means. Help, scared, talking Stay away. about, yeah, yeah. Ta- asking for direct things, saying uh, emotions of what they're feeling. But there, this is all happening inside the players, all of the players' heads simultaneously because it's happening telepathically. So, what's the outcome of this? Like, so let's say our party kills the intellect devourer and we save these cute space octopi. Well, at that point, we get to the wrangling. So now, all of the players, separately or together, have to go around and talk to the gnome squidlings. They have to have social interacts with them and try and get them to give them... Okay, they don't have to have social interactions. They have to do some wrangling. Yeah. Why do they have to do some wrangling is if they try to interact with things in the workshop... The gnomes will kind of fall back on old instincts and go to like bother you about what you're doing or just they're confused and scared and they will occasionally mind brain tickle you, hit you with their little like one point of damage and you might be stunned thing. And it makes it very difficult for the players to be moving around and doing anything in here. There is... But these things aren't scary or very dangerous. No. If you keep... If you keep looking around, so these these things are going to hit you with their brain tickle when you're trying to find uh, like one of those glowing gems that we talked about in the crane. crane so there are two the things there are two things that would draw the attention in here. One of them being a console that has a video on repeat, and the other one is what appears to be a large vault door that has um, five of those stones slots in it. Let's say three of them are in there and two of them are being held by the gnome squidlings. Yeah. So you have to get these away from them while also wrangling them. There is a closet off to one side that is kind of like a tech closet or work closet, whatever. You can put them in there. But also keep in mind that this workshop was a gnome tinkers workshop that has been repurposed to make ceramorphs. So one part of it should have like big tanks with like the bubbling liquid mm-hmm. and it looks like there's been something in there. Luke Skywalker. There should, there should be, if you've seen back to it, the Baldur's Gate 3 <laughs> intro. Of course you would <laughs> There's uh, like, they keep people in these like stasis pods almost. Like they, those kind of things should be in there. Maybe one of the tanks is broken and that's part of the, some of the damage that happened and there's glass on that part of the room and the liquid is pouring out everywhere. Whatever it is, right? They, they, there should be tinker stuff in here and biotech stuff yeah. in here. But there's a closet where you can kind of wrangle the squidlings and get them in there. And then you have the opportunity to investigate these other two things. So the the video that's on repeat... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's just a glitching, like, security console, basically, and it's playing a video on loop. So it's a recording of how this asteroid came to be destroyed and it shows a recording of a red dragon attacking the asteroid and particularly a ship took off from the docks and broke one broke one of them which left the players with only one to park their spell jammer so it broke off that dock but the lead for your next adventure that you can write is you can get whatever it is, some sort of, you get the name of the ship, it's license plate number, I don't know how they do that, and spell uh, The way that I would probably lead it in is the, so it's not just a red dragon, it is a red dragon being ridden by a gith, a yeah. gith yankee, which are the mortal longtime enemies of the mind players, we've been over yeah. this. Um, 
I would make it so that that red dragon and that gith are famous in your area. There are only on on Toril, there's only like five of them or three of them that live in the asteroid above Toril that the gith yankee use. So there shouldn't be many of these. That should be recognizable. Make it if and maybe the players don't previously to this event know that, but like you don't even make them make a history check. Yes, You're like, oh, you all too. recognize this, this dude. He's like the captain of these red dra- of the Red Dragon Corps or whatever you, whatever you want to call it, right? But like that's super recognizable. So you know there's like a tie-in, and you have obvious knowledge that you can give the players. That's lore, and it all makes perfect sense for everything that's been going yeah, on. And that that lore should help move the. The, your campaign forward, like make make a part of it. I'd even say, like, no. You said no check, yeah. Like, and that's that's when you just give them you give them the background information, give them everything that is interesting or unique. Certain things your characters know without any memory recall issue, no chance. And you, as the DM, are informing your players that their characters know that. That doesn't take a check. That's one of those yeah. things that it's. It can be super vital to your... And that's why this thing is on repeat. It is not behind a wall check. This is what they've been after. This is the, like, getting this information that the Githyanki attacked and there was a Mind Flayer that took a ship and left. That was the best way to end... Or that was, like, the most... The the information you needed. Yeah. Other than that, it was... Your whole goal here was to figure out what was happening and why it went dark. We actually didn't explain that well in the beginning, but like your goal here was you were sent because this Tinker Tower, work, this Tinker Asteroid works with your employer and it has since gone silent and they were trying to figure out what happened to it. So now you know what happened to it. So And you can quit. You can be like, I'm quest done. Is, I'm just going home. Quest is resolved. Now there is the vault. If you killed all the squidlings, the gnome ceramorph in it will shut it down so that none of the stones will glow. You can't get it open. There's nothing you can do. If you talk to the gnome squidling, you already know the password, so you just gotta get the stones in there, and you can use the password. If you solved the the uh, chest puzzle previously, you know the way to solve this otherwise is to relate the color of the stones back to the name of the rats. I'd put five on this one so it's a little more complicated than the chest that you had. Yeah, so these these little uh, gnome squidlings, I'd say they have maybe two of the missing gems. And you can do, like, the social interaction should be fun with them. So you want to, like, corral them in a closet. Maybe they all scattered when you killed the intellect devourer and you got to hunt them down. But, like, getting the, the stones should be... A fun social, so like, I mean, maybe the fighter's like, I don't have time for this, and he grabs it out of the gnome ceramorph's hand, and maybe it like reactively does the brain tickle and then runs away. Or maybe you got the barbarian who's like, I want to rage and just like scream at it and do an uh, intimidation check, and it like runs away into the closet on its own. Trade that, trade them something, bribe them, coerce, take by force, any anything. Offer them brains. Absolutely. They got to be hungry after all that running. Yeah, and there's those Grimlocks. Yeah. Yeah, they are yeah. still Ceramorphs. They do like brains. There's this, you could give them the body of the, I don't know why you wouldn't give them the body of the uh, Intellect Devourer if you, if you. Sure. See, it's literally, it's just a brain with legs. So like, basically make it like a, I'd, I'd say like a DC 10, like flat DC 10 check of whatever variety to successfully because that this is not meant to be actually challenging it is meant to be a levity moment after everything where it's you're it's hilarious you're making squid babies flop around on the floor into a closet like that's hilarious and fun maybe one of your characters like i said before the the whip thing you took a whip then there you go success for you but like maybe if there's a person who just happens to have a net and they're like I'm gonna just throw a net over them you grab the whip and just drag them because they float (laughs) just like pull them through the air that's hilarious dude get them to hold on to a line and just pull them into the room lasso like just let the players be super creative cut up cut up pieces of the uh, intellect devourer and put them on the floor like uh, the ooh piece of candy moment from family guy just like have them be able to ooh piece of of brain ooh piece of brain they said their gemstone down to eat yeah or something like that yeah. like make it just like up oh, got it exactly so this that's just really supposed to be a fun moment but then you get to, if you open the door and 
at this point, the only way to open it is for it to be friendly. The reason for you to have done this the friendly way and the good way, the reason for that is on the other side of the door is a living gnome ceramorph, and they are, they that will kill your whole party at yeah. this point. So it's a CR5 or something? CR5 creature. Yeah. It's got a, if you if you let it be exactly what it is in the book, it's got a laser gun, a laser pistol that does like 3d6 it's radiant so damage. It's looking too. It looks like something Calvin would have from Calvin and Hobbes. Oh yeah. yeah. Or like or like a Jetsons <laughs> gun. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, or actually it's like a Padme's little like, holdout blaster that oh, shows that chrome, point. That chrome yeah, the one, one that she yeah. points at the floor and it shoots forward and every, whatever, dumb scene thing. <laughs> That's anyway. called plot armor. <laughs> it doesn't, um, <laughs> doesn't matter accurate, right. if if they open it up this thing will come out and thank them for saving the gnome squidlings by the way if you don't if the intellect devourer kills the gnome squidlings it will also lock down it yes, can so it can sense the brain power of these things so it that is what's like that's how it's observing yeah yeah so it's not really watching so much as it can sense the brain power going on and it knows about the squidlings and because it has all its memories wants to preserve them and hopefully save them if possible yeah. so if they all die off it's not about to open it up um yeah but, so so if the if dylan you're gonna say something well and this ceramorph has all its memories it probably knows the name of every gnome squidling before it became a gnome squidling so these are it's friends all of them yeah exactly friends, friends and family brothers family and their children so like not well, saving them that's actually not squidlings don't have to come from children they just act like children yeah they, just they act are like very them. unintelligent they're yeah. adorable they're just family. like reduced capability in fact, I don't know how to like put out the words. only reason they're around and we'll eventually talk about the mind flayer that came here in another episode. The only reason they're around is because this is a special mind flayer. Normally, they don't get to exist in colonies. They chalk it up as a failure and murder it. Yeah, this is a uh, mind flayer arcanist who is an outcast from its society. And we'll get into mind flayer arcanist eventually, but... Uh, it's an outcast. It, it, it studies magic and science, and it is shunned for that reason. So it's here doing its own things and trying to actually find a like compatriot in a gnome, but that didn't work out and had to flee. Um, but this thing would come out, and it should have, again, level one appropriate for your campaign loot. I don't want to pigeonhole you into giving anything i would lean onto the tinker tech side of maybe give them like some common magic items um there's a uh, clockwork amulet that is considered one of the best magic items i wouldn't give this out freely in your game i wouldn't allow it to be available for purchase but i think actually giving it at level one like this could be really cool so it's a common magic item that one once per day you can forego your attack roll to take a 10 this is the kind of thing like that, that feels like the gnome ceramorph could just give to you and would be like cool loot. It's a common magic item. It's really not as powerful as it sounds unless you give out tons of them. Yeah. But it's nice. It's like if players know that we need to kill this thing, 10 will do it for me because of my bonuses. Just do it. Like maybe you got an archer and they got that extra archery feat. So it's like they've got a plus seven at level one to hit. So, or the archery fighting style. So like you have a way for them to have this like guaranteed clutch moment and it fits in with the theme and the vibe but otherwise I would just find some kind of like cool tech item magic magic sword pistol oh yeah I know this is I remember I brought this up the other day it's a short sword right I would make a moon touched sword oh yeah the moon touch that's what it was but add one thing to make it more spell jammery sci-fi so a moon touch sword is just a magic sword that does magic damage to overcome resistances right which is cool it's the first thing you, earliest thing you could theoretically get that does that mm-hmm. by standard uh, guidelines yeah but it also uh, casts bright light in 15 feet and then like dim light for another 15 feet so it's just a glowing sword that's it just a glowing sword I would say make it a short sword it's like a prototype make it a prototype for story purposes. Maybe they can come back and get a better one later. It's kind of like a prototype sun sword almost. Now it does radiant damage, but it's still just 1d6. And it's, it's it can't use, maybe it can't use strength. It can, it can only be used with dexterity. And 
you've got a little laser sword that shouldn't upset the balance of things. Instead of doing magic damage, it just does radiant. That is going to overcome generally the same amount of resistance as most of the time. Yeah, but it's not going to do a ton of damage. Yeah, it's, it's still highly useful. And it's going to be so cool and flavorful. One person's going to be like, I have a mini lightsaber. Yeah, like just a, awesome. Like, level one, you got a lightsaber, you're like, I'm the best in the galaxy. Like, like Ahsoka Tana's offhand lightsaber, the one that's like short. It's like you basically have that. And maybe later in the game, they get a long, long, a longer sunblade of some variety. You got an artificer that can upgrade it. Uh, yeah, or you have an artificer that can upgrade it. Or since you're friendly with the gnome Saramorph at this point, since he gave it to you. So they. that's where I was going with it. They might not upgrade it, but like I said, it's a prototype. And you can come back later throughout the game and get different versions of this. Maybe eventually you get one of his laser pistols that does 3d6 radiant damage. That's insane, but at high level, that's not going to be upsetting much. Especially if you do combat the way I, I'm going to be encouraging combat as we kind of building more you know, encounters. You're like 3d6 at level one. Uh, that's too much for me. Make it once or twice a day. Like, like it's a prototype. It doesn't yeah. work like it should. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be all the time. Like just tweak things. And 3d6, sense. 3d6 twice a day would be less than a level one spell because a level one spell that does 3d6 damage would be like uh, burning hands and that does it in an area and this only targets one thing and if you pulled if you cast it do your little 3d6 damage 3d6 charge that expends to charge whether you hit or not so like you could do that too I think that'd be great maybe he gives them his prototype pistol prototype sword something maybe he lets them choose one and only one yeah so that the players can decide, do we want like this in melee? Do we want it? Or maybe like you give them an option for that or like a little kind of like uh, deployable shield that they can cool. like put on their wrist, but keep the hand free. And like once per day, they can like, or yeah, it has, it has like two or, or like it has one or two charges and it can like add two to as a reaction can add two to your AC. Yeah, like cool. something small like that doesn't have to be big, but like, cool tech stuff that he could give out would be just like the way I would flavor that and it allows you to be able if you've made this contact and friend you know the location of this asteroid it's close enough to your home base that you were rented a ship and eventually when you have your own you can come back here freely he is a tech merchant he can fix your ship he can upgrade your stuff if you don't have an artificer he's also a psionicist and can do other cool stuff so give your players long-term benefits for doing good yeah right and then if they murder hobo they level up and they leave. Yep. And may- maybe they cir- maybe this little guy circles back later for yeah. vengeance. But yeah, it's fun to like have outcomes like this that are or maybe have consequences. Or maybe the Gith Yankee loses the ship, comes back to this asteroid, and interacts with however you want, however you think is appropriate. Maybe he becomes cool with the gnome Ceremorph and is like, okay, now you're going to give me information what was going on, finds out about the party, and now this dude on a red dragon is hunting you down. Like, you tell me what you know now. And there's so many ways to, like, extend this adventure. We are going to get into some ways to extend it and some mid-level adventures and then eventually some high-level adventures to kind of help round out this campaign, at least to give you some of the major uh, plot beats that would really make it exciting for your players. And eventually we'll be getting into some of the more tasty uh, Mind Flayer creatures like the Mind Flayer itself, the Neothalid, the Alhoon, the Elder Brain, and the Elder Brain Dragon which I would make the penultimate battle of this campaign where you've got this elder dragon in space with just, oh, it's going to be so much fun. We'll get there, but I'm excited about it. And one of the, one of the things you do, we're going to talk about in the next episode is like, again, you don't have to play spell jammers. We, we want to make this friendly for whatever. Maybe your players would lose their minds at the thought of a ranger having a space laser or something and they just don't want to do it like the next the next couple situations could you know take place in the underdark or a volcano base like the like we saw down yeah. uh, i guess it was in the underground in the underdark uh, the in the D movie trailer and we, if, we talked about that last week and if you don't like those magic items make them the easier versions like make it just a straight moon blade and maybe it's just a sword that they put lights in and it glows or something like that and if it's in the underdark it's just a moon blade yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so you've got 
Flavor this however works for your party. Yeah. Yeah. We just wanted flavor to Spelljammers because I am super excited about Spelljammers and our campaign has been moving in that direction recently. Yeah, Dylan, Dylan, you have some space background. Yeah. Uh Gith Pirate. Essentially. Gith, Gith Space Pirate Ship Jumper, who can jump 180 feet in a turn, 150 feet in a turn. Look. Jump plus crucible benefits are pretty cool. Crucible is a homebrew uh, thing from Grim Hollow. Crucible Fighter. And it can triple its jump distance. And then the Gith Yankee can triple its jump distance. And if you had any other ways that modified your jump distance, it would just keep going up and up and up. It actually gets really fun because your mobility just becomes crazy. It doesn't necessarily make you dangerous, but you can go wherever you want. And who doesn't want to jump 300 feet from your ship to the enemy ship in space and start beating down on enemies on the other deck? That's... Cool. You know, but, Dylan, I think I think uh, NPC, you should start telling NPCs that you're half orc and half elf and just like see how they react. Because <laughs> they somewhat look like you got green skin and very angular face features and just be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Wait, what? <laughs> but, uh, I love yeah. it. But uh, yeah, I appreciate Dylan, you coming out again and giving us your expertise and hanging out in the studio. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So uh, appreciate you guys listening to this adventure. Please um, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram um, at D20 Tower, or you can email Liam at D20Tower.com. Tell us if you use this. Tell if it's fun or if it sucks. Like, we just want feedback on this. And, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great to have somebody run this and say, my players absolutely love this. Thank you so much. So I'm dropping hints here. You got to love us. But uh, yeah, so that's all we got for you this week. We'll dive into more Mind Flayer stuff in the future. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening, Pod Goblins. If, if you're enjoying it, make sure you like us on your podcast platform of choice. Give us a five-star rating and stay safe out there, Nomies. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us anywhere podcasts go to adventure. So like, subscribe, and give us five stars on your favorite podcast platform. You can follow us on Twitter at D20Tower to find out when we're posting new episodes. Or toss a coin to these casters on Patreon. Again, that's at D20Tower. Until next time, game on, Pod Goblins. 